welcome to another podcast edition of White Collar Crimes. I am your host, Ryan Horn. Glad to have you aboard. Gotten the chance to talk to you a few times this week with the Murdoch case, the updates on that. And as I said, it's not entirely over. There are still the actual white collar crime charges he will face now, in addition to the double murder conviction he just got last week. So, as I said, we will keep an eye on those as it unfolds. Hope you're doing well. Weather's a little calmer where I'm at now compared to what it was just a day or two ago. Hopefully it's doing well where you're at, but I know a lot of you folks, especially out west, are still getting buried in some big snowstorms. And south of me here, I know there were a lot of tornadoes and flooding, and we had a lot of flooding and high winds and things in my area, which it's March now, and it's time for a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of volatile weather. I think March has probably got the most unpredictable weather of any month out of the year just about but uh hopefully where you are you're safe and doing well if you're a sports fan even a casual sports fan casual baseball fan i have no doubt you do know about pete rose he is the all-time hit leader in base hits in all of baseball history past the great ty cobb back in the day and seemed to be a lock for the hall of fame but as it was soon discovered some of his gambling habits and other types of white-collar crimes he was involved in would prevent that from happening. Now, you know, kind of as a disclaimer, this is not a Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame uh, advocacy podcast because I'm a fourth-generation St. Louis Cardinals fan, so I'm certainly not a Pete Rose fan. He played for the Cincinnati Reds, and back then, uh, they were in a different division <clears throat> than the Cardinals were. Now the Cardinals and Cincinnati Reds are in the same division, uh, the National League Central. But back in this time, the Cardinals were in the National League East when I was growing up. And for some strange reason, the Cincinnati Reds were in the National League West. I never quite understood that because Cincinnati is west of, or east of St. Louis and east of a lot of cities really in this country. And uh, at that time, the Atlanta Braves were also in the – Western Division, which the West uh, St. Louis is further west than both of those cities, but yet these cities were in the National League West Division. Kind of glad these guys don't make our maps or anything now, but uh, that's how it was back then, but I'm certainly not a fan of his. I think his behavior and things that he's done and his criminal convictions and whatnot more than stand up to keep him out of the Hall of Fame, but If you have a different opinion, that's fine, because that's not what this podcast is about. This one is just simply to cover his case as it happened and some of the convictions and things that he got and how it did derail what was certain to be, at that time, a Hall of Fame career. As I said, he played for the Cincinnati Reds, and he actually was born in Cincinnati, and he would become a sports legend in that city. In fact, I believe next to the Red Stadium, is Pete Rose Avenue, a street they've named after him. And he was born and raised there, and as I said, he uh, was brought up in a sports-oriented family, my understanding, so he was pushed to be an athlete at a young age and was supposedly a star athlete in high school uh, in a lot of different sports, but, of course, obviously baseball being his best. And in 1963, he began his big league career with the Cincinnati Reds and would you know, have a great career for almost immediately through the rest of the time he played. And, you know, there are some connections to him 
in my area, and as we'll see in a little bit about him doing time in Marion Federal Prison next to me, but it seems like Rose always had an infamous connection to Marion, Illinois, which is near me, because in the 1970 All-Star game, he is famous for a dive at the home plate, shoulder first slide, almost like a football tackle that plowed into Ray Fossey, who was the Oakland A's catcher at that time, who was born and raised in Marion, Illinois, right next to me here. In fact, I worked in Marion for a number of years when I worked for the county sheriff's department here. And even though he was just a rookie at that time, Fossey was already an all-star and had a brilliant career ahead of him. But his shoulder never recovered from the injury on this hit, and his career never really got back on track to the level it started off at. He still had a decent career, but nowhere near the level he could have had this not happened. I mean, again, he was an all-star catcher as a rookie, you know, halfway through his first season here, and this got taken out of commission. So that Rose is not a real popular person in my area anyway for that incident because a lot of people felt it was uncalled for. He took his Charlie Hustle as his nickname a little too far. You know, an all-star game supposed to be a little friendly and a less serious type uh, gathering. Now, now they're in all-star game. There are some World Series implications in it, so I can see why maybe it might be played a little more seriously now because the league, National League or American League, whichever league wins that all-star game, their World Series representative gets home field advantage in the World Series. So now there's at least some incentive to win. But back then, to me, this was more like the Pro Bowl is in football now, which has gotten so non-serious. Now it's a flag football event. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they play in Las Vegas now. They don't even play in Hawaii and Honolulu like they used to. I don't know. It's been several years since I've watched the Pro Bowl. But this got Rose off to a not very popular guy in my area, but he would go on to having a stellar Hall of Fame level career. And in 1985, he broke the Ty Cobb record of all-time hits when he got his 4,256th hit, and he beat the all-time great of Ty Cobb. And he continued to play through 1986, even as a player manager. You don't see that much now, but sometimes you could see it a little bit, I think, more probably back then. But that was a role he played as, where he played as a player and a manager. To me, that's really difficult to do, especially in today's games, as complicated as they've gotten. But maybe it's a little easier to do that then. But he was, and remains to this day, the all-time hit king. I doubt he's going to be passed in that regard because there's just a lot of records we've seen like that back then that are not likely to be broken. Could be, you never know, but probably I will say for sure most of us listening to this podcast will not see this record broken in our lifetimes, if ever. But he retired with it. He retired after 20-some-odd seasons in baseball, most of which were with the Cincinnati Reds. He did very briefly, I think, for a couple months play for the Montreal Expos and also with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, he was a 17-time uh, time All-Star, speaking of the All-Star game. Won three World Series uh, with the Cincinnati Reds in 75 and 76. That was the great big red machine teams they had back then. And in 1980 with the Philadelphia Phillies. So as I said, Hall of Fame enshrinement seemed destined when he retired in 1986, a year after breaking the all-time hit record. And I said he operated as a player manager, which he remained on until 1989. 
he was known as a hot-headed manager, even suspended for pushing an ump, which I've known people that have met Mr. Rose in person, and I've never heard anybody say anything nice about him. Everybody just says he's a jerk. Uh, and again, that's not what this podcast is to recover or to cover or point out, but it is something that's always been said to me. I've never met the man personally, but the people that I do know that have met him, none have said anything good about him. But what brought him down in 1989, reports began to surface that he was betting on baseball. And the investigation began with the then-commissioner, Peter Uberoth, who was on his way out of commissioner, actually. But he opened up an investigation into Rose's alleged gambling activities. Now, Rose admitted to betting on uh, football and racehorsing and a bunch of other sports, but he denied betting on baseball. Now, prominent lawyer John Dowd at that time was appointed by the commissioner to investigate Mr. Rose and these alleged gambling activities. And Dowd did reveal in 1987, Rose bet on 52 Reds games at a minimum of a $10,000 wager each. $10,000 is a lot of money for one for each pop, but especially when you're talking about 1989 money, $10,000 is, you know, and I didn't uh, figure out how much that difference is now, but that would be worth significantly more then than it is now, $10,000. And I'm sure Rose made great money in his career, but in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they make nowhere near what they do now. In fact, on my own Facebook page today, I saw a story on a baseball page I followed and shared it. It was an old Sports Illustrated cover from 1985 talking about baseball being the quote money game and showing on the cover the salaries of the highest paid players in 1985 which the highest paid back then were making maybe two two and a half million and there were some others that were making a million million five million three something like that and that was huge money back then and that's the salaries they made so I'm sure he made great money even back then and was able to live well but they didn't make the money that these guys do now so ten thousand dollars a pop even for an athlete like that that's a wealthy athlete that's made a lot of money, that's that's a lot of wagering. That's some serious gambling. That's not just putting a few bucks in at the football pool at work or something like probably what a lot of you listening have done or, you know, maybe hit a slot machine here and there or so. Uh, something like that, but it's not uh, – that's big money. And as it got closer to more being uncovered, Rose filed a civil suit to contest this investigation. And after a brief court battle on August 24, 1989, Rose agreed to accept a permanent ban from baseball's Hall of Fame from then-Commissioner Bart Giamatti. So at this point, by August, Uberoth is gone, and the new commissioner is Bart Giamatti. Now, some of you may know his son, actor Paul Giamatti, who starred first thing I remember seeing him in was the movie Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe, the true story about James J. Braddock, the underdog Depression-era boxer who defeated Max Baer to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And right now, I think recently, the things I've seen him on, he's starring in a series of Verizon ads where he plays Albert Einstein in these. Been in a ton of movies and show, very good actor. And that's, uh, that's his dad at the time, was the commissioner, Bart Giamatti. After this all came about, the news broke that Rose was given a permanent ban from baseball's Hall of Fame. 
he entered a treatment program for his gambling addiction because it was found out that not only was he betting on horses and football and probably hockey and a few other things, but he was indeed betting on baseball and in games he was actually playing in. So he goes into treatment. But the odd thing was, and this if we would have had social media back then, I wonder how many conspiracy, well, I hate to use that term, but how many, for lack of better words, conspiracy theories would have popped up about this. But eight days after this happened, Mr. Giamatti died of a heart attack. He was very briefly the baseball commissioner. I would say, and I haven't, you know, I'm not a baseball historian and haven't looked, but I would say he's probably the shortest run baseball commissioner in U.S. history. He was only on for literally literally a matter of months. And he dies eight days after giving this permanent ban to Rose. He dies of a heart attack. Now, beginning in 1992, Rose begins to unsuccessfully petition for reinstatement, which he continues to do to this day, my understanding. But it's not just the gambling that brought him down. What also, I think, has tarnished his image, and this is where the white-collar crimes thing comes into play, was his 1990 conviction for tax evasion. And we've done multiple podcasts on this, how that's taken down some very powerful people. One of the early ones in this show was Leona Helmsley, the Queen of Mean. We did one on uh, Wesley Snipes, how this brought him down, several others. Even if that wasn't the main thing they've been charged with, they got that thrown in, and that actually is the case with Alex Murdaugh, the murder case that we've been following. And now it's the focus will switch to his white-collar crimes as that phase in his criminal hearings begins next. Uh, tax evasion, my understanding, is one of the 99 or 100 or so counts of various financial and white-collar crimes he is facing. And that's one that just a lot of people don't beat. You know, it took down... Al- Al Capone, the famous gangster mobster. We uh, have talked about that on here. A lot of people think it was Elliot Ness and the Untouchables through dogged, determined uh, law enforcement investigations and detective work and all that. That's not what brought him down. They never brought him down for the massive amounts of murders and bootlegging or anything like that. What Al Capone was brought down for was taxes. That's what they brought him down for. I believe about 11 years or so was what he ended up getting sentenced for and got in bad health after being released and died a fairly young man but that's not he didn't go to prison for the massive amounts of actual crimes he committed it was for tax evasion and that's one of the first cases i think of a really big time powerful player in this country being brought down by the tax man but in 1990 he was convicted for tax evasion which i said did not help his status and trying to get in the Hall of Fame. This after, again, coming out about him betting on baseball while playing. So he pleads guilty to falsifying some tax returns. He admits to not reporting accurately some income he received from selling autographs, various memorabilia, and some of his gambling winnings, which I guess he did okay enough to win some. A lot of them don't. And we've got a podcast on how gambling can ruin a great career. Yeah, go back and check. It's been a while back, but one of our early ones on this, Arch Schleister, the former quarterback for the Baltimore and then later Indianapolis Colts, Ohio State football star, had the world at his uh, doorstep, and gambling ruined him and continues to get him locked up and incarcerated to this day. A horrible gambling addiction, which 
I think is one of these things that needs to be brought up to attention. We hear plenty about drug and alcohol abuse and treatment and even sexual things are brought up and considered addictive and for treatment, but you never hardly hear much anymore about gambling. I think it's starting to get a little bit of coverage that it needs and some focus that it needs, but you can see it, folks. I'm sure a lot of you listening to this know somebody whose finances and lives have been, if not ruined, deeply shattered by gambling problems. It just seems to really negatively impact a lot of people's lives. And, you know, the, look how much business Vegas is in. It's, it's a habit a lot of people have. Las Vegas and a lot of everybody's local riverboat casino and everything like that would not be in business if people did not like to do this. And, unfortunately, it can be highly addictive from what I've seen. And it can cause a lot of people to ruin their lives. But the tax problem did catch up with him on July 19, 1990. He began serving his five-month sentence right over here near me at the uh, UPC Marion facility, federal prison in Marion. I can remember that time, one of my best friends in high school and some of my other friends from school whose dads were correctional officers at the facility at that time, remember him being there and him doing time there. And it was kind of a big deal in this little rural area that I live in for somebody of his status to come here, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the former uh, Libyan leader, Qaddafi, uh, had done some time there as well. And mobster John Gotti did as well in time. We At one time, it really a lot of heavy hitters used to go to this facility. Now, I think it's used more for other types of crimes, but it's uh, still a pretty famous federal prison in our area and that's where Mr. Rose did his five months sentence here which I think he was later released and finished some of it out in a halfway house which is pretty common for anybody released from a correctional facility whether it be state or federal and he was released on January 7th 1991 which at this time I was a pretty exciting time in my life I was a few months away from graduating high school And upon his release, he ended up paying over $300,000 in back taxes and supposedly committed about 100,000 hours of community service or public service work, whatever you want to call it. And he finally did admit to gambling and his gambling problems in his autobiography. So he was able to profit off his uh, crimes here, I guess, so to speak. And he... uh, finally admitted to betting on the Reds games in which he he played in, which my understanding that's really what brought him down and got him the lifetime ban. There's supposedly something in baseball called Rule 21, I believe it is, where if somebody bets on games they are actually playing in, it can be the end for them and they get a permanent ban. And, you know, he's not the first one that's ever had a permanent ban. We remember the, if you've ever seen the movie Eight Men Out about the Chicago White Sox back in, I think it was 1919, ended up throwing the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds in that. And a lot of them, once it was discovered, did this and took payoffs from the mob and everything to throw this World Series. They were given permanent bans from baseball. But gambling, my understanding, just betting, if they if he would have just been betting on football and horses and hockey and, and things of that sort, he probably would not have gotten this ban the way I understand it. My understanding is that that's... The, the fact he was betting on games he played in, that's something that got him in trouble with his Rule 21. And you don't know which way he betted, so you don't know if there's times he tanked something or you know made some errors or something to throw a game. You just don't know because he bet on a lot of them, at least 52 that we know of, and that's, that's a decent chunk of them. 
So that gets him a, a lifetime ban. You know, we have seen that before, like I said, with the, some of the players from what was initially or later dubbed the Black Sox team. But just the betting alone isn't what gotten him in. And we've seen other athletes that have gotten in trouble with that. I believe a former Green Bay Packers running back, Paul Hornig, I think I understand he might have had some gambling problems. And then the former football player turned actor, Alex Karras, that played George on the show Webster. My understanding, he got some gambling problems. I think he was playing for the Detroit Lions back in the day and ended up getting a year suspension or something, I think it was, for some of the gambling he did. So Rose and Sleister are certainly not the only players of their sports to have gambling problems, but Rose's problem was is that he bet on games that he played in, and according to this rule, that's what's going to keep him out. Now, who knows if it'll get overturned. It may not happen in his lifetime. It might be one of those things that's done after his death, and they reverse it, but at this time, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I imagine he will continue to get a lifetime ban, which he did agree to. You know, he's tried to reverse this since then, almost immediately, actually, beginning in 1992, he's tried. So for over 31 years, he's tried to get this covered up, but the fact that he bet on these games illegally that he was playing in and a prison sentence, it's, to me, kind of hard-pressed anyone can make an argument that he does need to get in because that is something that my understanding gets taken into consideration. It's not just somebody's playing stats and career, but their moral character can be taken into consideration too. And these are two big strikes that have worked against him. But who knows? He may someday get this overturned. We just don't know. Well, we thank you for tuning in to this one, as always. Uh, as always say, like us on Facebook. Email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com if you've got an idea for a show glad or if you want to be a guest we're always glad to have you on as well uh, check out my website ryan-horn.com for latest audiobooks narrating and other voiceover projects and i'd be glad to voice over your project if you have one going please feel free to get a hold of me for that if you have that going and please continue to tune in and listen to us we as I said we're going to be coming up talking about some from uh Deadly Sin, that's an upcoming one here soon on this podcast from the Deadly Sin perspective of how greed affects us. And like I said, follow us on Facebook. Be sure to give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you do hear this podcast. And we thank you for continuing to tune in. You know, as I say, the numbers are growing, and we like that, and we hope it can continue to grow. So we thank you very much for that. And as I always say, too, go adopt your next best friend at your local pet shelter. You, you won't regret it. And as I always say, too, watch out for your friends and family, especially your elderly ones. They are the ones most targeted by white-collar crimes. And we thank you for helping this podcast happen and helping us be able to shine the light on these types of crimes that so often do not get the coverage they deserve. But you're making that happen, and I thank you for that. God bless. Take care. We will see you all next time.